0: While this week of news has been dominated by conservative firebrand Milo Yiannopoulos' unearthed comments about pedophilia from an appearance on the podcast The Joe Rogan Experience, Milo is far from the only conservative who has made compromising comments on the MMA and DMT enthusiast's popular show. Today... The Chapo News Network investigative team has uncovered a trove of controversial clips from members of the Trump cabinet who have also gone on the Joe Rogan experience. One is Defense Secretary James Mattis, seen here in a July 2015 appearance.
1: So that's when I realized if I make the rules of engagement broader, my men can kill every single thing that moves. You know, Joe... I got into the military because I wanted to top me lie, and I'm proud to say I did, several times over. Bro, that is a fucking war crime. That's like shit you go to the fucking Hague for.
2: That is so fucked. But, I mean, yeah, back to what you were originally saying, I won't ever for- fucking forget the first time that I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan play guitar while I was high his fingers knew exactly where to go on the guitar before his brain did. Right. That's some powerful shit. Like, when you get high enough, James Mattis, you can see exactly how a great musician figures out a song before their like conscious mind even knows how to. It's like they're connecting with this higher power.
0: Attorney General Jeff Sessions didn't do himself any favors during his episode, which was recorded in September of 2016. Well, I do declare that if a man should be in that there
2: Google Chrome and he opens a window in the incognito, anything he looks at is not illegal. (laughs) Now, look, look, Joseph, I may be a simple country lawyer and senator, but I swear on the memory of General Lee that you cannot be convicted of downloading pornographic images and video of the child persuasion. (laughs) If you mosey on down in that incognito window, that makes no fucking sense, dude. You're still like fucking literally looking at child porn. That's fucked. Have you ever seen a video of two gorillas like play fighting and shit? It's like they fucking know jujitsu. It's, it's fucking amazing. Like the gorillas do half guard and butterfly sweeps
0: and shit. You have to fucking see it. But, you know, what you were saying was fucked up. Embattled Education Secretary Betsy DeVos may have come off the worst.
3: You know, the, the biggest reason we think charter schools are so important is because of opportunity and the opportunity these disadvantaged children get to be a part of something bigger. In some of the selected schools we operate, we, we select one child every year who will be sacrificed to the yellow king. Now, what that's going to do is widen the portal to the dark obelisk and grant us immeasurable powers. So if enough children are given to him, we can even become immortal. Teachers unions, on the other hand, you know, they're not going to allow kids that we teach to reach out to a power so great. Are you fucking...
2: Betsy, I fucking respect you and shit, but that is not right. You can't sacrifice a fucking child, whether the yellow fucking king or whatever is real or not. Kids should be, like, smoking weed and making out (laughs) with each other under bleachers and shit, playing outside. Betsy, have you ever gotten really fucked up and called your grandmother? You know, like, I did this last month. I was, like, just fucking weeping by the end of the call. Not because I was sad or anything, but it was just so much emotion. I mean... People definitely abuse alcohol, but it's it comes from nature and has this natural purpose. It's in the Bible and shit like that. It's not like fucking Xanax or any of this evil shit that we make in laboratories. It's from the earth and there's like a purpose to it. You know, I think that people should do that more. They should just get really fucked up and call their grandmother.
3: Well, no one can accuse me of not enjoying a glass of wine, but my grandmother unfortunately passed in a temple ritual some years ago. Ah fuck, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: Hello friends, it's your, uh, it's your midweek Chapo it's, uh, We're back again, the gang is here And uh, just to kick it off, we are talking this week with Suja Hayter of uh, Viewpoint Magazine, contributor <laughs> What's Suja? up Grey Wolf? What's going on? How you doing? Not bad uh, Also joining us is Virgil Hey everyone Amber Hi And Matt
4: Hey, folks. Oh, shit, Matt, I did not realize you were there. <laughs> <laughs> You've you been in that presence.
5: little box the whole time? Yeah, I basically like Kit on Knight Rider. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, you don't have to yell, Shujo. Matt is all around you.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: I can feel his presence now. You're right. Um,
0: yeah, uh have got a, a few things to... Uh, talk to you about this week, but um, just to kick things off, uh, Amber, you and uh, Suja were on a panel together this week, uh, and I think that may be a good place to to begin.
6: We were. Uh, We were on a panel. uh, Well, I moderated, which is the best person to be on a panel, because you get to pretend to be smart, but not have to prepare to say anything, Mm. Um, but Suja did a wonderful job. Well, thank you. Uh, and it was on privilege and cultural appropriation, <laughs> and uh, we very cleverly stacked it with a dissident feminist and POC.
4: <laughs> you know, this is one thing I always tell people, that, like, I volunteer to be a token. Like, yeah, if you need yeah, a token yeah. to make the right argument, I'm your man.
6: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you gotta tag in somebody. Um, but it went extremely well. We were both, I think prepared for maybe some hostility from the crowd this is things that amber and i
4: talked about it beforehand we were convinced that some college student was going to get really mad and get up and yell at us
6: yeah we were very like i got your back <laughs> like if someone calls you like a, a cishet bro I, i'll, no, I'll no, uh, where, where was the panel though uh it was at mayday space in bushwick um which is very cool and connected to a church which is weird because sometimes you accidentally walk into a chapel i almost um, did yeah. yeah 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 uh but it it it, it was a uh, pact well, and it did really well. Also, s- beforehand, someone, uh, this very nice uh, young guy, an Asian American guy, came up to me and said, Amber, I just want to say I'm a really big fan of Chapo and I like your writing, but uh, I kind of wanted to know uh, can I. Can I still be a good socialist and listen to Come Town? <laughs> and I was like, well, "Bless you, 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 you child. Bless you're you, on child. Fucking come Town." I know.
5: He just wanted—he basically wanted a backdoor way to brag that he's edgy enough to listen to Come Town.
1: Oh, he wanted to say yeah. the word "come" to a woman. Yeah.
6: <laughs> Not all of us have done a that. Very nice young man. They were all very cool kids, um, and uh, and also you had to leave early because your uh, your band. Has had a show, but my band had a
4: show that night, and it was the weirdest show I've ever played because we were basically almost like playing behind the bar. There was no room for us. Uh,
6: it's yeah. a well, you see, you missed a dance party, situation. and you missed all the cultural appropriation. Was d- was there a lot of that going there on was at the so dance party? So much cultural appropriation. Well, they played. Yeah. They kicked
0: it off with uh, Migos' "Bad and Bougie," which I think is good because that song is class conscious.
6: Yeah. Uh uh-huh. um, Also, it, it did the thing where I mean, I remember Wait, going did, to. DSA. Did they?
4: Did somebody drop the Rich Chiga track that uh, RL? Incorporated uh, into the Oh, RL didn't
6: even m- make the request. I don't oh. think he should have.
4: So, we were on a panel with, with RL Stevens, who's an organizer in Chicago. And as his example of why he loves cultural appropriation, he brought up the, the track by Rich Chiga called That Stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fucking great song. Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking great song. Awesome song. Apparently, it's by this Indonesian teenager who learned English from rap music. So, like, I think he doesn't know English other than the way, like, dirty South rappers talk. And it is. The dopest track.
6: He is the Elvis Ooh, yeah. of South it Asia. The, put it on the end. Of this, it on. There's
4: a great video too of like rappers reacting to it, and because in the video he's wearing like a polo shirt that's buttoned all the way up to the top and a fanny pack, and they're all like, "What the fuck is this?" And then, <laughs> and then as soon as he starts rapping, they're like, "This is the dopest motherfucker I've ever seen," including Ghostface Killer, who is just mesmerized.
5: Yeah, but uh, uh we, anybody we... ever listened to Tone loke
0: Tone
4: Lopes. yes. fresh. Yes, that is.
0: <laughs> Before we get into the uh, specifics of the panel, uh, Felix and I did show up, of course, to the party after all of this, because this is my understanding of socialism is that just other people do work and then you come up, you show up later and take things from them. Oh. And I got to, uh, I got to see uh, just a lot of like, again, really excited, earnest, bright eyed young people approach Felix and try to engage him <laughs> seriously. But, like, because they listen to the show and they think, like, oh, you know, this is great. It's Felix Biederman. But they don't actually know um, him like I do. So <laughs> I got to uh, I got to sit there and watch these kids try to talk to Felix and just see his brain glaze over and just start talking about his TV or Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs>
6: okay, okay. Not In good my, on your toes, it, buddy. It,
0: <laughs> no, I'm actually great
2: on my toes because I've never prepared for anything and I've succeeded to this point. But... <laughs> in my defense we had watched the steven seagal movie uh the mercenary absolution before and well this is also your fault because on the entire ride over we were just talking to each me and brendan were talking to each other like seagal like every time we would we were like you know oh is this in bushwick we would say it like we'd be like if a motherfucker in yds has done some bad shit in his (laughs) life he silenced women and BOCs, <laughs> but I'm deciding to go on it. And so, yeah, no, like, it's all I talk and you about. And you've been doing like, that for a half yeah, hour beforehand, like correct? Like, 90
1: minutes. <laughs> Folks, if you, if you run into Felix or me at a conference and you want to talk to us, you better have some knowledge about elevators it's right there.
0: <laughs> People are just uh, like, Will, oh, my God, I'm I'm a huge fan of the show. Like, it just you're the reason I'm here today. And i what's your name, son? <laughs> <laughs> and they go, Oh my, uh, Will, uh, my name is Will, too. I don't like that. <laughs> change yourself for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're getting way too out track yeah. with our
6: okay, moronic so anecdotes. Party. but yeah, The dance party was actually uh, really great because I remember being at YDS parties like years ago when it, there weren't a ton of people there and there would usually be like one guy with an iPod playing like against me <laughs> and like me and like three other girls and two gay guys going, play something girls like. <laughs> uh, and I didn't even like Top Forty Radio, but it's a dance party. You put on dance music. Um, but it was a, it. Uh, shout out to Chris Maizano, who who DJ did an amazing job. Did he? Uh, and so it was uh, all
4: Steely Dan. I would it imagine it was
6: a lot of yacht rock. Okay, I don't okay. know, but it was like. But you saw sort of like people coming forward uh, for their various representative music types, like. Um, Uh, like, when Beyonce would come on, you would hear a shriek of women. uh, And, like, when there was, like, 90s Madonna, there was a distinctly gay yop. Um, And on the sidelines the whole time, there were all these, let's say, heterosexual looking, because you never want to guess, but white guys. And they would sort of, like, they were getting sort of drunk, and they were kind of nodding along. And then after, I think, some, like, 90s Jay-Z song, Chris had the inspired... Uh, uh, he made the inspired decision to put on The Cure's "Friday I'm in Love," oh, wow. and there was oh, just shit. this Everybody wave of white men suddenly like <laughs> running to the floor and start dancing. And it was actually, it was actually very beautiful. It was like, have you ever seen like a 19-year-old undergrad at UPenn studying? Uh, Polly sigh. Find his heart song on the dance floor. <laughs> it was very beautiful, and then they stuck around for all of it. And um, but I mean,
0: you bring up the example of the of the dance party and all the various sort of genres of music and the, yeah. the, the their varied reactions to it. And like, music is a good. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's
6: like the perfect example. It's the perfect of example it, yeah.
0: of uh, what you were talking about when you know and like how cultural appropriation works or doesn't work and what it is and isn't. And I guess like I want to ask like,
6: although should, I did have to dance salsa that night, and I think I would have gotten away with it had there not been kids from El Paso there that could actually <laughs> how really how to seriously do yeah. dance. <laughs> so that's why you shouldn't do cultural appropriation because you will look stupid,
0: <laughs> right? But music is the primary vector through which, like, culture right. is, quote-unquote, appropriated. Yeah, but, like, yeah. but before we get there, like, Suja, you've written about this, and, like, what do you think is, like, a good working definition of, like, cultural appropriation? Like, how is it used now versus how was it used originally? Like, what is the sort of history of this idea?
4: Well, the way it's used now typically will argue that... It's a theft of a kind that it's like a somebody from a privileged group, which is a loaded term in itself, who takes uh, or um, a kind of cultural practice from a minority group or a marginalized group and exploits it. Um, but that's a really kind of inversion of the way the term was used when we first started to hear it, which was from like Marxist cultural studies in the '60s, who said who uh, for the first time kind of identified subcultures within cultures. So like. Youth cultures in music, punks and so on Ethnic cultures uh, within bigger cultures They were forming their own cultures Through that same process of cultural appropriation By taking things and using them in ways That they weren't intended to be used uh, And forming their own communities
0: Sort of like sampling
4: Sort of like sampling, that's a great example You know, like if if you're uh, like De La Soul Sampling Hall of Notes Mm -hmm. You know, that's a a transformation Of where where it was coming from But
0: like, okay, so like in in, in the current... Uh, you know, to, in the parlance of our times, cultural appropriation. Like you, you, you said it's, it's it's usually an accusation of theft by which like a dominant culture steals something from uh an oppressed culture and like makes it their own or yeah. makes money off of it in some way. I mean, like I, you know, I, I think that's kind of dumb. But like, it, is there in there like is there is there a kernel of truth or is there is there a way this argument? can be intelligently
4: um, presented? There's, I think what w- what's happening is that people are looking at a situation and they're looking at something off to the side and missing what's really happening. You know, it's a kind of a, a distraction. Uh, the example I gave on the panel was Elvis, who's like the classic person who's cited as a cultural appropriator in music. Uh, and the argument often goes something like, well it wasn't right for Elvis to become very successful playing rock and roll when black musicians like Chuck Berry couldn't get into segregated clubs in the south And if you say that like there was something wrong with Elvis playing rock and roll, you're missing the fact that there was a segregated society that was keeping Chuck Berry out of clubs in the South you know mm-hmm. if you're focused on Elvis you're missing George Wallace you know if you're focused on limiting uh, the the rights and capabilities of you know the the archetypal white male, you're not uh winning more rights for women and people of color and other marginalized groups.
6: And one of the things you brought up too, and I think we all kind of agreed on the panel, is that like people who object to cultural appropriation, I mean that's an inherently conservative objection. You don't want mixing. It is, yeah. And originally who was mad about Elvis playing black music? It was white racists.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it it what it does is it kind of accepts as An assumption the idea of discrete racial groups that are separate categories of people that have their own practices that should be limited to those groups which is you know the favorite idea of people on the alt-right yeah and you know uh, is totally not based in science and you know it's something that we should be aggressively rejecting um
0: I think that's an interesting point and one uh, worth exploring further. When you say it's not based in science, which they 100% believe it is, mm-hmm. like, like, could you explain more about that? Like, How so?
4: Yeah, I mean, so the idea of race, uh, the, the sociologist Paul Gilroy has a phrase I like. Uh, he calls it a spurious biological theory. It's a biological hypothesis that's saying that these collections of phenotypical traits are evidence of subspecies of humans. Right. And that's simply not true. The traits are really widely, randomly distributed.
6: Shuja, are you denying uh, the one true science, the science, science of phrenology? What about haplogroups?
5: <laughs> what did Matt say?
6: I don't know what it means,
5: but my best friend uh, uh, Age of Consent Goku tells me <laughs> that
6: haplo groups are very important and they but mean race is real. We laugh about this stuff now, but it was legitimately the science of of a period. I mean, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. there are people who were legit phrenologists, which is our our favorite topic on this show, <laughs> um, because they're like, oh, well, skull shape, obviously different species. Right. And now it's kind of disturbing to see. I mean, racism has now become far more aesthetic um, and less sort of, you know, purely like in, in ideas of blood or biology or whatever. But now, like. That's coming back, which is very disturbing because yeah. we have, frankly, embraced a much more progressive kind of racism than what than than we were working with a hundred years ago. When <laughs> we were using calipers on people's skulls, right? And I think it's something that
4: actually, like, people—if you ask them—they don't believe it. Like, if you ask somebody who's saying, uh, you know, you shouldn't appropriate the culture of a minority group, if you ask them, do you are you saying that like these racial groups are subspecies of humans? They would say, no, that's racist. But they're basing that argument on that
0: Right and I think what you're saying is like if you take this the, the logic of cultural appropriation As it's currently used to a certain point Then what you do get is basically cultural And racial segregation yeah. in a certain Form however like but Then I think like the, the, the sort of turn to That or where you know someone You know might disagree would say it, Well it hinges on like a dominant Versus oppressed culture and then then This gets into this idea of privilege yeah, And like and how that plays out where it is It's basically about like you know, white people are the dominant group and culture in America. So, like that, we sort of like, you know, pick up uh, things from other races who are we're currently being uh, oppressed or disadvantaged by our uh, privilege, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like that's the problem. Right. Not that that you know uh, that like cosmopolitanism is going on and people are mixing cultures and ideas.
4: Right. Well, again, I think that that is making the the like the kind of Elvis fallacy that's saying that. Uh, that the problem is negative rather than affirmative. That's kind of vague, but it's saying that like, no, yeah, that, that, that we need to impose limits rather than open up rights, uh, which, which if you impose limits, uh, those start to apply to everyone. You know, if we say that because you're white and you have this certain set of privileges and that limits what you can do, that opens up a, rhetorical space to say that about a lot of other types of people.
6: Yeah. You know, I think Adolf Reed said something, I think this is his phrase, but I'm not sure. But the problem with the privileged rhetoric is that you end up with uh, you can end up with a conclusion of just equally distributed misery. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not well, like we a, want we want people to be better. We want everyone like to have one of the those privileges. M C Escher
4: drawings where like there's like a thing and then a thing inside a thing and then like it's infinitely those things. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. Like you can always find another level, another vector on which to delineate who has the right to do what, you know,
0: and like the most the most uh, obvious use of the uh, widespread immiseration is the idea of like how the police treat people. Yeah like, that, yeah like if, if well if just everybody were treated as badly by the cops as they treat black people then that would be a kind of equality or like yeah, that you would did be see a lot of like
6: twitter stuff yeah. uh during like you know the sort of uh wave of awareness about police violence that happened a bit ago um where people were like you know this is what happened to me and they didn't hassle me and it's like yeah, that's that's good we want everyone to not be <laughs> hassled by yeah. the police like
3: like, when people talk about how, like, ah, oh, they didn't call this white guy terrorism, it's like, then if everyone were plot
4: by- <laughs> Right, so yeah, fun. yeah. I can't stand that. As someone who, like, has been misidentified as a potential terrorist at airports before... Sorry. Like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, don't, like, don't say that we should call some guy a terrorist, you know, when he's not.
6: It's been politically a very volatile category, too, that's been used to, like, literally go after... It. I mean, it's used to justify going after... Like, Arabs, Muslims, and to a lesser degree, just activists. Like, terrorist is a very politically volatile word that...
4: Applied to Nelson Mandela yeah, I mean, among yeah. other people.
5: Uh, I, I, I'm in favor of it if it leads to everybody who gets arrested getting Burger King. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's pretty good. I mean, come on. The flame broiled. It does make a difference.
4: I agree. Yeah. Well, I, think I like their something... fries better, too. Not everybody I agree. agrees with Actually, me on yeah, that. I like the, I like the BK whoa, fries. Whoa. Yeah, I See, I knew this would whoa. be a controversy. How, <laughs>
0: <laughs> how, did, how did the the crowd, like, what, did you get, was there a and a section or? Uh,
6: yeah. Like, uh, how
0: did people react like
6: it was like largely positive and we were going into it very much you know like because the thing is like YDSs are not a hostile crowd but sometimes it just takes one person Mm -hmm. um one recently woke person uh to be very angry um but i mean they were Incredibly receptive, and I think the questions we got were actually very good and like very cute. Yeah, I think <laughs> the questions
4: were often—I mean, almost all of them, to my knowledge, were like, "How do I put this into practice in my life, in my personal life, in my politics?" Yeah. Uh, so you know, like, some really I... earnest uh, kids who had their hearts in the right place. Well, and, you know,
1: they're going back to their campuses to become organizers, basically. Yeah.
6: Yeah.
4: Yeah, uh, and it's pretty useless to them to have to like separate up their prospective members of their organizations, and you know have them check their respective privileges like RL is an organizer and yeah. you
6: know I think one of his fundamental I I, I points asked was him, like what, that's not useful how do you uh, so how often do you think uh privilege politics or issues of cultural appropriation help you organize workers and he was like I only encounter it when someone is fresh out of college and I have to break them of it <laughs> <laughs> and he's like so it's really kind of a, a bother for me
4: he what? brought up this experience that I think a lot of people of color actually have uh who who are participate in political activism that i've certainly had which is that you're at a meeting and someone gets up and says guys uh everyone here is white and there's no people of color here and <laughs> i think that's a real problem for our movement and like i'm always sitting there as a person of color thinking get the fuck out of here because i mean it's always a white person making this <laughs> statement you know anyway i mean it's 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 basically a practice of guilt, and guilt is a personal practice. It's not a political practice.
6: I think it's not just guilt either. It's about representing like how woke you are, and in some ways, it's a little accusatory. It's like mm. I'm not one of those men. I'm not one of those white mm. people. I'm better than them, and it's it reads to me a lot of times like jockeying for an advantage. Uh, and I think you know, going back to like the terrorist example, like what people tend to do, or the police example. Um, is to correct things by being more punitive uh, rather than doing sort of the work of liberation, not Mm -hmm. to be too grandiose. um, Because one, it's more fun to be punitive. (laughs) Uh, And two, it's just way easier rather than- Yeah, that was what I was going to say, how
5: fucking easy it is. Like calling something cultural appropriation takes absolutely no brain power, (laughs) risks nothing of you, and just calls attention to you as somebody who has the- Brilliance to point out cultural appropriation. Yeah. It I just mean, builds your personal brand.
6: I don't know if this is a thing that like white activists do for like the performance before POC or whatever, but like I know there's definitely something that like feminists call like performative allyship but I just call like cruising for poon. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, so it's just, it's just so clear when they're like, you know, that guy, uh, he has real problems with women. I'm like, first of all, why the fuck are you talking to me about this? Like, why did you pull me aside to have this conversation with me? And, (laughs) and, and it's, it's very, it can be very transparent. I think when people are sort of trying to get an advantage of their wokeness, But but like
0: for, you know, uh, particularly, you know, college students or people fresh out of college, like, you know, we we we've made fun of it on this show a lot, but like the the concept of you know wokeness or like how mm-hmm. it's deployed, yeah. you know, on social media and then also in people's like personal lives. I mean, is is the ins- the instinct isn't terrible, right? Like, but where does it go wrong? And like, I guess, what would be like the practical advice you would give to someone who's like, mm, you know, I have someone who they're just a little, they're a little too. They're a little too proud of how woke they are. That well, it, you can kind of tell the Their politics have, like, right, yeah. you know, gone in 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 a less productive way. Than yeah, to sort of just let's be honest, bullshit. This was a question from-
6: for at, at that someone sent me at my uh, at your sorry ass at my column. Yeah, and I was, you know, one of the things that's like. Well, do you think they're doing it to be a dick or do you think they're doing it because they think they're supposed to be doing it because there's like a distinct difference between those mm. kind of woke people? And I think honestly, and maybe this is just my optimism, but the majority of like, you know, people that we kind of laugh at for being like silly woke, um, you know, they really are trying their best. I think most of them aren't like horrible Twitter personalities like trying to get a book deal. Mm-hmm.
5: Well, it's just people don't come up with any sort of class consciousness or material understanding of the world. And, like, how many – I've seen so many people complaining about cultural appropriation in these sort of broad terms. And if you, like, drill down, what they're really mad about is the process of cultural commodification. Like, that's what they're actually upset by. But they don't know what that is. They don't know that commodification is a process. They don't have the language for it. They do have the language to point out cultural appropriation because it's in the air. That's because Marxism has been purged from the
6: universities, but I digress. Well, I mean, the, the, the rule of
4: thumb, I think, is just find where the injustice is. Locate what someone is being deprived of. Look at what someone is being prohibited of doing rather than looking at what someone is doing out of enjoyment or out of, you know, just a natural inclination, you know?
6: Well, the great thing about art and culture is that it's, like, not finite. Like, one, uh, you know, like, she's not good, but Iggy Azalea does not occur at the deficit of another rapper. Like, it's literally, she's not creating less space. She's just sucking very loudly and in public.
5: Right. <laughs> well, that's what I don't get when people, the assumption there of, like, oh, Iggy Azalea is taking someone's place but she sucks which means the people who are listening to her have shitty taste so are you saying that well, also, I mean, there's the an entire assumes that the person who would fill their spot would suck too regardless
6: yeah there's an entire Whoa. music industry built around <laughs> like you know creating these human beings in a lab somewhere running them through like a a, a creepy set of uh, you know uh, uh, focus groups and, uh, you know, scientifically creating pop stars. It doesn't have anything oh, yeah. to do there, with... There's five yeah.
5: Scandinavian, middle-aged Scandinavian guys write every one of these songs. Oh, yeah. The no. ones... Uh, all the songs that are examples of awful cultural appropriation and all of the amazing liberatory anthems that make Beyonce the new Sojourner Truth are written by the same cabal same of sweets. middle-aged Swedes.
6: It's those same fucking Swedes. <laughs> sorry.
2: Uh, sorry. I was, uh, dumping out. Uh, but, uh... Anyway, uh just wanna circle back to the Iggy Iggy, <laughs> Iggy Azalea discussion. Who remembers uh when Azalea Banks was like Igloo Australia, get get your white ass out of here! And yeah, then but her all,
6: insults are like tanky.
2: Yeah, they're, 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 she sounded like Molly. She was like these petty bouge, what fash. What talking
5: about? There's, there's, uh, who doesn't love the well-known and famous igloos of Australia? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but but anyway, anyway. so it was great, and all the woke people were like, "Yes, drag her." All the people who were like, uh, "Yeah, I." Uh, both of my parents are Reinhard Heydrich, actually, and Cecil <laughs> Rhodes, like the whitest people alive who care about this shit for some reason. And then, like, the next day, Azalea Banks was like, oh, uh, yeah, so uh, Bill Cosby's innocent because it's impossible <laughs> to rape a white woman. Uh, Mex- <laughs> Sh- Mexican, Mexican people or things are about trash. Mexicans. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yakub, he invented Mexican people as a joke <laughs> to, make, to make the worst people. And uh just want to clarify again that Bill Cosby is innocent, And but even if he did do those things, they're not bad. And then all the woke people were like, Oh man, I'm so conflicted here
7: (laughs) You ask me your questions About politics, about business, about real estate flipping, about life, about sex, about divorce This is the Ask Sean Whalen Show My friends, the most valuable commodity that you have Do you know what it is? Do you know what the most valuable commodity is that you have? It's your time It's your time See, I just had a guy on, the, on, on, on Facebook say, hey man, I want to pick your brain, whatever, whatever. I said, cool, here's what my daily consulting rate is. Oh dude, that's ridiculous. What, you charge, What did it? If you called a lawyer right now and said, hey, can I pick your brain, what's they gonna tell you? Sure, I have an hourly rate, or I have, a, I have an introductory cost. If you call a doctor and say, I want to pick your brain, what do they tell you? Sure, come on in, and we'll chat, and then I'll send you the bill for my time. And so when I tell people that my time has value and that I charge for my time, well, you're an asshole. You're just a dude from the internet. You're whatever, whatever. Why should I pay you for your time? Because I value my time. Because my time has value. I produce results with my time. And if you want it, I'm happy to give it to people that are willing to invest in it. Because most people, guess what? Wanna know what most people are not willing to do? They're not even willing to invest in themselves, let alone your time. People don't value their time. People just fuck around and do whatever they wanna do and yet they get mad when I say my time has value. My friends, I'd have you consider for a second that if you wanna make more money, if you wanna be more successful, if you want more connection, Understand that your time has value and as soon as you recognize your time as valuable, you stop wasting it on people that want to waste your time. You invest it wisely. Because guess what, I don't get my time back. And so I'm not gonna waste it on things that don't serve my purpose. Things that don't get me where I want to be. So understand my friends, your time has value. The question is, do you value your time? Have an amazing day. God bless America.
0: I want to uh, actually, I want to ask you about uh, this piece you wrote for uh, uh, Jacobin back in uh, January yeah. called uh, Safety Pins and Swastikas. And it, so it's just
4: a- to shout it out though, I wrote it for Viewpoint magazine. Oh, sorry. Jacobin reposted it, but go ahead.
0: Okay. Uh, originally in Viewpoint, uh, reposted in uh, Jacobin. But it, it's basically about, you like, talk about how. The alt right and like Richard Spencer and a lot of this this shit that is burgling up right now is kind of like ex- existing in, in or reacting to the the sort of framework of liberal identity politics. And I wanted to get into that because a lot of people got mad at you for it. Like it's yeah. a, it sounds provocative on the surface, right. but it's actually I think a pretty S- simple thing Like to, to so, It's also like, just
6: literally Historically provable If you look yeah. at his Intellectual history <laughs>
4: I was I was really naive Because like I was writing this thing And I did not think People were going to end up Sending me the hate mail That they did Which was mostly From like centrist liberals And neo-Nazis Who Again, were they in don't great agreement. They
6: have anything in common
4: <laughs> in attacking this. But you heard it here
6: first.
0: <laughs> just called centrist liberals the same as Nazis. Yes. That's, <laughs> see, that's what happened. That's what
6: happened
4: is that like a, a, the uh interpretation seem to be that like if I talk about one thing and then I talk about another thing later in history, I'm saying that the first thing caused the second thing. Which is like a crazy way to think about history. <laughs> you know, that like if you uh Associate every sequence of events as being cause and effect, which was not the point. The point was, uh, there has been a resurgence of extreme right ideas in a particular mold that borrows from, uh, the current prevailing left-wing rhetoric. Uh, and you see, I kind of started to write this when I was watching interviews of Richard Spencer after Mother Jones called him dapper. Uh, He did a lot of interviews And nobody got a good interview out of him It was like you should be nailing this fucking guy to the wall And instead he is dodging you at every turn I I,
0: I felt a lot of the same way after that Like in that spate of articles about him Where he's interviewed by like I guess ostensibly liberal outlets Like Vice or Mother Jones Or like even like the Washington Post or whatever It really seemed to me like the people interviewing him Were really not prepared to interview him at all Like they really they couldn't nail him down And 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 I'm sorry he came across as smarter than they were
4: yeah, which is which is a terrible he's fucking not thing. You know why? Because yeah. he had a very good shrewd. liberal
6: arts education. Yeah, yeah. But Shuja, though, like one of the things she brought up was actually his education. <laughs> literally, he does know that, that that language. He does refer to himself it's as an literally, identitarian. Yeah.
4: yeah, he refers to himself as an identitarian. He calls his uh, outlook identity politics for white people. He says that what he wants to bring about his utopia is an ethno state, which he says is a safe space for white people. Uh, that's all you know. That's all like campus activist vocabulary, and he's doing it on purpose because uh, it's hard to react if you accept those terms. You know, the the way to nail this fucker to the wall is to attack his false premises, which are based on uh, the spurious biological theory of race, and the left's forgotten about doing that. That's that's the kind of the problem was trying to diagnose in that article
0: here, here here's my you know bait and hook for mr. spencer <laughs> mr. spencer you call you call the white race uh the people of the sun but in fact in fact in point of fact sir <laughs> melanin is what is caused by the sun and the whites do not have it we are the people of the not sun we're, the, we're the, snow, the cold people, snow apes, if
4: you
1: will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take the opposite of what you're saying. Uh, if he's going to win uh, by aping this identitarian language, uh, what we need to do is fight him on his territory, and we all need to learn about phrenology and racial science. Compile a detailed analysis of his skull size and his haplotype, and uh, buy your
4: logic, him. Or you know, we could just punch him in the head. <laughs> we could, we also could always hit him. just do that.
5: Yeah. I mean, ta- speaking about. Not having the vocabulary, watching everybody freak out about that article because there was a, an assumption that you were blaming identity co- politics, people yeah. for creating Nazis. I mean, it's almost as though people have never heard of the dialect.
6: <laughs> I mean, I I knew as soon as that came out, it was I was like, oh, he's brave. And I don't think you saw it I coming. I had no idea that I was
4: being <laughs> brave. I'm not brave. That was an accident. But the, the yeah, so I mean, the responses were things like, this guy just said that, uh, you know, neo-Nazis is the same thing as Black Lives Matter. It's like, where? No, I didn't anywhere. Actually, like the 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 kind of prescriptive part of the article where I talk about how to construct a left that opposes this bullshit is the types of things that you see in Black Lives Matter allying with Fight for 15. Uh making that program that is based on uh the rights of marginalized people into a universal ethic i just want to uh,
0: read actually quickly from 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 this article you write um towards the end uh this is who are we this is the question that richard spencer has put front and center in the national policy institute propaganda who are we the alt-right has an answer, one that is consistent with the long history of imperialism and white supremacy. As their adoption of the language of identity politics shows, the right takes comfort when the left's answer merely inverts the one generated by this history. It allows the right to draw the battle lines, marking the territory of their white national fantasy.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a long history of uh, dealing with this question in uh, in radical movements. Uh in confronting the question of nationalism, which, we, which you know, was dealt with in anti-colonial movements, which was dealt with in um, the black liberation movement in America, uh, a lot of the most astute tendencies in these movements rejected nationalism. You know, the Black Panther Party, for example, uh, really had no time for the idea of saying, well, actually, we're the superior race. You know, that was not... Uh, What they saw as a viable way of fighting racism, uh, they saw the viable way of fighting racism as being fighting capitalism, uh, which was a system of exploitation. Sorry, I actually forgot what the passage (laughs) said.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, you follow it up by saying if they were confronted, uh, you know, meaning yeah. the right, if they were confronted by a unified we, a subject that refused to recognize the borders, divisions and hierarchies that are regulated by the logic of identity, the alt-right would be left with nowhere to plant its flag. White nationalists would find themselves in the worst possible position for a nation at war, being unable to identify the enemy.
4: Yeah. So there's an important point earlier in the in the first passage you read that, that these that this way of looking at race, this way of looking at identity comes from uh, white supremacist imperialist systems. It's not, I I never claimed it was invented by uh, left liberal activists. Uh, It's, that's why it's so easily picked up by the right. And that's why I think the left needs to avoid it. And the, you know, the point at the end uh, that I'm getting to uh, about being unable to recognize the enemy is saying that if you can't, figure out a way to divide us you know you can't fight us on your terms uh is most literal extension it's like uh in the movie Bullworth, uh where uh is on tv and he's advocating for a program of biological racial deconstruction and the host says what does that mean and he says everybody's just got to keep fucking everybody else till we're all the same color that's uh, what I advocate.
2: We finally got into something I'm an expert on: the movie Bulwark.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, <laughs> but like, okay, so if, if the, the the antidote to this is a broad-based sort of coalition of like working-class politics and move and like a, a movement based around that and and material uh, the material concerns of the vast majority of people in, in in this country, like how do you how do you feel that that's like a, you know playing out now with a lot of these you know. Uh, Like the other thing I think a lot of people got mad about was this book or not to you personally, but like in these conversations is the folks on the white working class and like, you know, reaching out to Trump supporters. And like now we're reading articles about people who are sincerely Trump supporters. And I'm beginning to question whether any of them should be reached (laughs) out to at all.
4: I don't know. I mean, when you talk about like this, the the white working class as a category. I don't really want to accept those terms. It's another kind of premise that I'd rather not have to deal with. Uh, the, the thing is though about Trump voters that it's almost a moot point because you have a vast majority of people, uh, who didn't think it was necessary to vote at all, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, or who couldn't vote. Yeah. And who didn't actually endorse Trump, but did not vote for Hillary Clinton. And, uh, you know, the Democratic Party used to give a shit about trying to win them over.
3: Um, I have a question. So, you know, maybe uh, we were talking about YDS earlier. There's young, yeah. younger people who do, I guess, listen to this show. And if they're listening to this, you know, the message is clear that separatist impulses of the alt-right and of, you know, their forebears it's not a good idea to mirror that in any way or right. to pick up on that strain of thought and simply invert it, like you said. Some people may hear what we've said so far and just think, like, they may hear this as a very liberal uh, prescription of being colorblind and being like, no, everything's right. universal. Everyone should just treat each other on the content of their character and blah, 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 which is, you know, I'm sure is not exactly what you mean either. So, you know, in for people who are trying to find their way through this admittedly pretty annoying, uh, you know, forest of ideological stuff, how do you differentiate what we're talking about here from the, you know, Jonathan Shate style uh, colorblind oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. ideology.
4: Yeah, so I would say there's a distinction between the the premise that comes from like uh, a certain tendency in the Enlightenment, probably, to argue that like basically everyone should be a white male, you know, and that like the universal is is the white male, and that everyone else can be absorbed into that. There's a difference between that and believing in like a mass of of people that is constituted by infinite difference. Because difference is infinite you know ultimately we all have uh, traits that are unique to us uh, that can't be categorized in the groups some of which can some of which can't so uh, the difference is always going to be there and the difference needs to be what we come together around
6: I think like the idea of difference becoming politically arbitrary being like the yeah, the philosopher Lambadu I mean, like,
4: says that politics should be indifferent to difference, that the difference should be there, right. but it should not be foundational to so the can political be there
6: socially and culturally, and you know, looking around, haircuts, and but whatnot. I mean, but, but, but politically,
5: the, the issue there, then I think, is that people would point out that you have certain uh groups in America, specifically African Americans for one, who have a distinctly disadvantaged position. That would require a specific remedy uh, to sort of make up or attempt to make up for, you know, the vast chasm that's opened up uh, in 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 uh, in quality of life over, you know, the the last hundred years or so.
7: And right, but say, I don't well, think
6: reparations but, falls outside of that, like outside of this prescription, uh, like something like reparations actually just make sense as a you know as an idea of bringing people back uh, up to a standard with which we you know we would like to have for absolutely everyone i mean that's the difference between like you know like sort of equality and you know whatever like Egalitarian concepts like equality, meaning like treating everyone the same and having it all balance out, versus like kind of egalitarian politics, which means providing the resources for everyone to have the same floor.
4: I mean, if you have a, a, a standard of saying that we want equality for everyone, then when that the uh, equal rights are deprived to anyone, it's an affront to us collectively, you know. And that's that's what that's why it's really important to take note of the way that particular groups are repressed like African Americans in a lot of ways, uh, police brutality, uh, disproportionate levels of poverty uh, that needs to be corrected because of our firm dedication to egalitarianism. And
5: that's what makes the, the objection so frustrating because the actual identity politics that a lot of liberals try to defend is on the policy side and on the platform side, completely vacuous. I mean, yeah. for one thing you have the fact that they're arguing, uh, well, you know, we don't want to abandon these people for some grubby white working class. Meanwhile, the Clinton campaign, which is trying to defend itself in a rearguard action as having been sort of the champions of identities, uh, saw a decline in turnout and in percentage of the vote. I mean, yeah, that's
2: the crazy fucking thing, is that we have this false dichotomy that it's like, you have the Bernie bros who are just the, uh, class over everything, and then the Clinton people, which are supposed to be the most stalwart, Defenders of identity politics But if you look at what they actually Prescribed it's like wait what They seem to think that Identity politics is like Tweeting about Beyonce or tweeting GIFs of black women or right. having A concert where fucking Katy Perry's there There's no actual practice of identity politics at all it's just all cultural signifiers yeah, and well, the that- Clinton
6: record on programs uh, that have disproportionately benefited poor people which are uh, you know disproportionately people of color disproportionately black and depending on your area Hispanic people I mean it, it is absolutely terrible if they were good on identity politics they would have had like a you know at least some nod to decarceration. You know, something, well, um, at least some nod to welfare.
5: See, did anyone see the Jennifer Palmieri thing?
4: Yeah. weeks ago. People don't want uh, a $15 minimum wage. It's all about identity. I think it was something like that. Am I right? Yeah.
5: yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is that she didn't elaborate. She did not say it's about X, Y, or Z. She just said identity as just like a placeholder. As forget that about, covers it. Forget about these material concerns. Identity as like just a thing to basically, I mean, it couldn't have been more clear, to ward off. Material claims uh, Right But not actually propose anything at all
6: Boy, they just love to lose You know, in
4: a way I wonder if liberals would be satisfied If, like, the... The demographic of poor people was just racially evenly distributed at the same rate as the general population. They would would certainly be be happy if the demographic
6: of rich people were evenly distributed. Yeah, right. But there's a
4: mirror image to that too, right? Yeah, they would love that. Let's diversify the poor. Yeah, well, I mean, you see this all the time. How come there
6: aren't more women billionaires? Who gives a shit? How come there are billionaires? Yeah,
0: right. that's the yeah. How come there are billionaires? That's a much better question. Before we uh, before we wrap the, this conversation up, uh, Suja, I want to thank you for talking to us. But before before we let you go, I do want to uh, bring this up. Uh, you went to college with Virgil.
4: That's true, and I actually have a story about an elevator ride I took with Virgil.
0: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: Let's do
1: it. Which one was Now's that? Was that the Otis?
4: We were on uh, yeah it was at the one of the do- what was the that dorm called that like uh, upperclassmen lived in? I don't know. All right, whatever. It was one of the dorms. There were a bunch of floors. We were on the bottom one. We were trash. We were going up to the top. And as we passed each floor, Virgil hit the button of the floor we would just passed. And then <laughs> we, we got up like to a the child. top. We got up to the top floor and got out and some other people got in. <laughs> and then we're just like, "What?" Cuz they were going down to the b- Bottom floor, and they had to stop at everyone. (laughs) That was that's uh, one of my cherished memories. That was so much
0: better than I could have imagined. (laughs) (laughs) That was back
1: when I was young and rebellious and had nothing but disrespect for elevators. Before I joined (laughs) the elevator uh, review community,
6: you're an an elevator terrorist.
0: (laughs) Uh, Shujet, uh thanks so much for talking to us. I had a blast. Thanks, guys. All right, till next time, guys. Bye bye, everyone. Cheers, everybody. See bye. You.
7: Man, I don't give a fuck about a motherfucking po. I'm a pull up with that stickin', hit your motherfucking dough. Man, I don't give a fuck about a motherfucking po. I'm a pull up with that stickin', hit your motherfucking dough. Don't give a fuck, poppin' bottles in the club Tryna fuck a Atlanta, baby, let her lick the pussy up Turn your bitch into a dype, finna need a baptize Boo full of liquor, finna dive in the ride Bitch, I don't care, finna fuck a bitch with no protection I be ignorant, pray to God, I'ma die with my nine on my side Motherfuck, cop, bustin' like a port, better hide, put my dick in the mouth, call that shit a man Cigarettes in my lungs, till I let the pisser go Look into my eyes, tell me what you want to do if yeah. I kill you in the street with the rest of your crew I did this, you know, there's the mark on my cheek Where the bullet grazed and I almost took my life Forgot what day feels like, I only live at night Like a bat, not a rat, never die when you at home I can't
0: see wall hole-breaking
7: And energy I
0: generate You know, the, the biggest reason
3: we think charter schools are so important Is because of opportunity And the opportunity these disadvantaged children get to be a part of something bigger in some of the selected schools we operate, we we select one child every year who will be sacrificed to the yellow... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it snuck up on me. That's going to be bad. In some of the... Oh, fuck. I'm going to corpse. In some of the select schools we operate, we select one child every... every... (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Okay. Who will be sacrificed I think I need <laughs> someone else to do it. You want, me to, do it? want uh, to do it? Let me give it one more okay. go. Who will be sacrificed to the Yellow King, thus widening the
4: portal. I can't do it.